cease your witchcraft on me, woman. Welcome back to Lyrics for Lunch, the show that always gives credit where credit is due. <laughs> do we, though? We try. We try. We try. We, we really, we really try. <laughs> um, I'm Aviv Rubenstein. I'm your, one of your hosts. I'm a writer and filmmaker and podcaster. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah? You're a podcaster? I am. I'm, I've come, I had no idea. I'm coming out to you as a podcaster. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! I'm a white. I'm a white millennial with a beard. Chances, <laughs> chances were good that I would have a podcast or two. <laughs> or two. Um, and all right. I'm always every single week joined by just the. Should we call? Should we call you my muse? No. Oh god! Absolutely I almost threw up in my not. mouth. Lindsay Tucker, how are you doing um, this week, Lindsay? Hello, it is I, uh, Lindsay Tucker, the Lindsay that Aviv did not write a song about. It's true. What are you eating? Shrimp chips. What? I need to know what are shrimp chips. Shrimp chips are these... Is there actually shrimp in Little them? Asian snacks, and they are salty and sweet, and the third ingredient after wheat flour and palm oil is shrimp. Oh, God, okay. I'm scared. They're so good. And then later you're going to be like, my stomach hurts. My tum-tum hurts. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Shrimp Chips. How are you doing and this week, Maylox. Lindsay? I'm doing great. I just set up my standing desk. Obsessed with it. Hopefully I can work on my hunchback now. <laughs> Listeners, <laughs> if you have been picturing Lindsay without a hunchback, <laughs> please adjust your... You are wrong. Yeah. <laughs> That's it? Done? Fixing the hunchback? Living your Fixing life? Fixing a hunchback. It's Thursday. Ready for the weekend. Everybody's working for, caca. Everybody's working for the weekend. And I'm Tell fine. us what happened last week. I'm fine. Thank you for asking. So last week, we started discussing Eric Clapton's biggest hit, Layla, from 1970, when he was going by the name Derek and the Dominoes with his band. And Layla is written about patty boyd who is at this point the wife of george harrison and the object of eric clapton's affection and also like a model and photographer and actor in her own right but she's like a muse right she she has inspired songs like something and wonderful tonight not yet and layla and some other one that bell bottom blues or something and yeah. and so uh we're talking about kind of the discomfort of of that as well as the song was co-written by a guy named Jim Gordon who played drums in Derek and the Dominoes and who is responsible for the piano outro kind of jingly jangly. I feel like we should re-listen to the song. Maybe like a different version of it like an outtake version of the song to like refresh us but he's responsible Mm -hmm. for the piano outro and i say responsible instead of written because he basically stole the music from his girlfriend rita coolidge and 
she never got writing credit on it and is probably owed hundreds of thousands of dollars from Eric Clapton and her record lit and his record label. And we left off our clip. What was our cliffhanger, Lindsay? There's going to be a murder. There's going to be a murder. So this is officially Famous Monsters Part 4. We need famous monster music. Listeners, if you have any famous monster music. (laughs) Famous Monsters, by the way, is a the name of a Misfits album. So I'll just like drop in the something from the Misfits. Where credit is due. Credit where credit is due. Okay. Let's re-listen to Layla to get ourselves back in the mood.
So that was an outtake version of Derek and the Dominoes doing Layla. Okay, great. Let's play a quick round of Does It Slap? I feel like it slaps. I mean, I could definitely do without the singing, but... <laughs> okay. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm into it. I think the riff is kind of the best part of it, and then everything else can go pound sand. Okay, well, you've made that clear. Yes, I have. <laughs> What's your relationship to this song? Like nothing. Okay, great. No relationship. I like George. I think you like your team George in this in this <laughs> feud. Yes. So back to Jim Gordon, drummer of Derek and the Dominoes. In 72, so after Layla came out, Gordon was part of Frank Zappa's 20-piece Grand Wazoo Big Band Tour and also the Petite Wazoo 10-piece Big Band Tour. And um, he recorded a bunch of songs that you will be familiar with including the ones that I listed last week. Before Layla, he drummed on Pet Sounds, Gene Clark and the Gosden Brothers, the Notorious Bird Brothers by the Birds, Classical Gas, These Boots Are Made for Walking, You're So Vain, The Record of Imagine, so a bunch of bunch of amazing records. And then afterwards, he continued his career as a, as a drummer for hire, and he drummed on Ricky Don't Lose That Number by Steely Dan. Ricky Don't Lose That Number. Russ loves that song. Of course he does. As you can imagine. <laughs> uh, he played drums for Alice Cooper on the album Alice Cooper Goes to Hell. And he was the drummer for the incredible Bongo Band's Bongo Rock album in 72 and that is the drum break that they use for apache that song that's played at all those bar mitzvahs that song that's played at apache v of what are you talking about apache jump on it oh jump on it jump on it yeah that song's called apache no it's called jump on it okay it's <laughs> super duper not. This is uh, we're we're making a right hand turn, and this song is this episode is now about the song Apache. <laughs> All right, could it carry on? Thank you. So this is from the Telegraph. Although an accomplished session drummer, when Jim Gordon went out on the road, the exposure to vast quantities of drink and drugs brought out an extremely troubling side to his personality. At best, hmm. ambitious and manipulative. At worst, violent. At best, ambitious and manipulative. Okay. Mm -hmm. These are some... Okay. Okay. Yeah. At, and that was at best. And so um, we heard a quote from Bobby Whitlock last week about how upset he was that this part of the song was even on Layla and... Yeah. He was not pleased. Jim, and that Jim Gordon stole it from Rita. And so this is another uh, quote from Whitlock. That's another Whitlock rant. Cocaine and heroin and whiskey will make you one crazy dude. True. Eric and I managed to come out relatively unscathed, but Jim's alcohol and drug intake was way over the top. It was pretty scary what was going down. Now, I have to stress that we learned last week that Eric Clapton almost gave up music entirely because of his extreme heroin addiction. And so when Whitlock is saying Eric and I managed to come out relatively unscathed, Jim's alcohol problem was way worse than Eric's, <laughs> which almost forced him into retirement. Which did force him into a hiatus. It forced him into a, a long hiatus. Yeah. Um, so there are a couple of quotes about his kind of behavior 
from some other legendary rock and roll artists. First is from Rita Coolidge, singer and girlfriend at the time. In hindsight, looking back, I went, well, he was doing a lot of blow. He was just over the edge. Because if you're doing excessive if, if you're doing excessive amount of drugs and you have already a predisposition or active mental illness, it will be exacerbated by the drugs and alcohol. So I just figured that I just figured that's what was happening. It never occurred to me. I mean, he had been violent with me for absolutely no reason, but I didn't know anything about the voices. Okay. So he's beating her up, he's doing drugs. Seems like he might have um, a mental illness, schizophrenia or something. And yeah, he's hearing voices. She continues, I don't know if he was hearing voices then. I imagine he probably was. Probably a voice told him to take me out in the hall and punch me out. She's referring to an incident that led to their breakup. So in a hotel, while on tour with Joe Cocker in the early 70s, Gordon dragged Rita Coolidge this is the report is that Gordon dragged Rita Coolidge out into a hotel hallway and punched her in the face in front of a bunch of people and thereby ended their relationship. At least she ended it. Yes. So this is from the New York post. They walked into the hallway and something in Coolidge's mind told her that this might be where Gordon would propose as they got into the hallway. Coolidge slightly nervous in anticipatory delight And Gordon, quote, hit me so hard I was lifted off the floor and slammed against the wall on the other side of the hallway. As his fist met her eye, she literally went flying and was knocked unconscious. Then Gordon walked back into the room alone as if nothing happened. Their relationship was over, although Gordon was not removed from the tour. Of course he wasn't. Everyone worked to make sure that she and Gordon were separated, she writes, and that she was safe. (sighs) She's not safe. No, of, okay. co- of course not, right? But this is like, this is people covering for horrible men. And, All the time. And frankly, had they not covered for this man, he probably wouldn't, he probably could have gotten the help that he needed and not murdered somebody. Right. So this is from the songwriter for the Eagles, J.D. Souther, or Souther, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Uh, he toured with Jim Gordon during like they had like a kind of a a super group and he recalled that there were two distinct sides to jim gordon in the mid 70s this is the quote well he was becoming unhinged we didn't actually know how much because you couldn't tell that much he was a social nightmare but he was great on stage every night he never messed up he played these brilliant sets and then one night he passed out in the urinal waiting to go back on for an encore he was completely unpredictable but he never played badly Souther maintains that although everyone around him was aware of Gordon's issues, no one could predict what the future held for him. This is another J.D. Souther quote. We knew he was a mess, but nobody knew what kind of mess. Frankly, he had so many chemicals running around in his body that it was impossible to tell which gym you were going to get at any given moment. Again, though, this is like, oh, let's just prioritize the music. Mm -hmm. Let's just prioritize what we want to see and ignore the fucking writing on the wall yeah and according to his peers at the time his physicians misdiagnosed his mental problems and and treated him for alcohol abuse right because the the drugs and the alcohol Mm -hmm. were a mask for him having an actual no fool in undifferentiated schizophrenia Mm -hmm. so 
from this day in music. So he's self-medicating. Mm-hmm. He's self-medicating. And everyone thinks that it, his behavior is a result of his alcohol and drug use. Correct. And and it's only through the benefit of hindsight, as we heard in the Rita Coolidge quote, that she's like, oh, he probably was hearing the voices back then, too. Yeah. But there's no way to know. Yeah. Um, from this day in music, Gordon's personality disorder was a major factor in the demise of Derek and the Dominoes. More seriously, in 1983, it led to Gordon's conviction for murder. On June 3rd, 1983, Gordon drove to the Hollywood home of his 72-year-old mother, Osa, attacked her with a hammer, and then oh my God. fatally stabbed her. He's been in prison ever since. Oh my God, that's horrifying. Yeah, it's pretty bad. So I want to kind of jump back. His substance abuse, this is from Rolling Stone, his substance abuse and reputation for abusing women led to problems including hallucinations and in-studio confrontations. In 1979, he turned down a tour with Bob Dylan. And between that time and 1983, he sought medical treatment 15 times. For what? His mental illness. But he was hearing his mother's voice, right? So he, he, he was hearing voices specifically of his mother's, and his mother was threatening him or telling him to destroy the things that he loved in his life. And so he sought medical treatment. In that five-year period, he sought medical treatment 15 times. This is according to court records. But he couldn't escape his mother's voice, which he claimed had tormented him for years. And the hallucinations grew relentless, demanding that Gordon eat less and stop playing music. Hmm. And the mother's voice also threatened, this is according to Gordon, to destroy his gold records. That's why he killed her. So, yeah. The day after the murder, he he admitted to detectives, quote, I just snapped. So, yeah, I mean, he pled guilty or did he plead insanity? Well, there's a there's a little bit more to it. Okay, <laughs> I'm ready. So this is from Bobby Whitlock, who was on record as not necessarily being a fan of Jim Gordon. Quote, he used to talk to me about hearing voices, but I told him that that was his conscious speaking to him. He said it was someone else. Oh, shit. Evidently. He never stopped or even lightened up on his drug or an alcohol intake, and the end result was the destruction of his family. Oh, my God. It was only after his arrest for murder that Gordon was properly diagnosed with schizophrenia, and at his trial, the court accepted that he had acute schizophrenia, but he wasn't allowed to use an insanity defense. Well, we never really let people use that defense. We just let them use the I'm rich defense, but um, why not? Why not? Because of changes to California's law due to the Insanity Defense Reform Act put into place after John Hinckley Jr. shot Ronald Reagan. Oh, my God. Which we've talked about a lot. Which we've talked about a lot. But it's insane how all of these grisly music murders are connected. They're all intertwined. He played on pet sounds. (laughs) Yeah, holy shit. So on July 10th, 1984, Gordon was sentenced to 16 years to life, and his first parole eligibility was in 91, but parole was denied several times, and he never even showed up to a parole hearing. Because was he acting badly in jail? He's, yeah, he's not doing great. This is from Billboard from 2018. And it's a drummer named Rick Murata, who is like also a famous session drummer. 
not to be confused with Ricky Mazzotta, who's the drummer for the band Me Without You, which I did for quite a bit. Uh, he says, I think people, I think that people overlook that aside from his obvious mental illness, Jim was really great. He was a really great gentle guy with so much untapped talent. I wish that there had been a way for someone to stop the horrific events that sent him away for all these years. But unfortunately, we lived in an environment that didn't rescue people with that kind of illness. Mm. There was too much acceptance of strange behavior blamed on drugs and alcohol. Gordon talked to Rolling Stone in 1985 about the murder. He said, I had no interest in killing her. I had no choice. It was so matter of fact, like I was being guided by a zombie. His trial attorney later told the Washington Post that Gordon truly believed he was acting in self-defense. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. As of 2018, I mean, his, I mean, his lawyer has a vested interest in saying that, but we'll hear a little bit more about his lawyer in a second. Today, Gordon refuses to talk to his lawyer, and he declines to attend any parole hearings, and he is said to rarely leave his cell, and often he resists medication. There's a document from 2005 showing that he collects about $4,000 a month in royalties from, not from Layla specifically, but in total. Mm, okay from his other from everything all of his works from all of his okay. works but i have to imagine that the brunt of that is layla because he has a writing credit on it mm -hmm. but he was disciplined for giving some of that money to his fellow inmates really yeah this is a quote from his defense attorney in terms of parole plans because of his condition it is our opinion not only for the good of society but for his good what needs to be done is to work on getting him a, cons a conservator because i do believe he has a substantial amount of income the question is would people be preying on him on the outside as they have done on the inside because of his finances so there's there's saying that he's in trouble for sharing it because they're pretending they're trying to protect him yeah i i think that they actually might be trying to protect him if he's just giving all of his money away for to pe for to anyone who's nice to him that does True. that and does, he has a daughter and he has a daughter so this is all very sad it's very sad a, a los angeles deputy district attorney said in 2014 that he was still seriously psychologically impacted and a danger when he's not taking his medicine. And he sometimes doesn't take it. Yeah. This is from a, diff a different one of his attorneys. He says, I think he would be a threat to himself if he were released. I think he'd hurt somebody else. Well, why can't they put him in Some a facility that is equipped to handle mental illness? I not that we have many of those in this country. Well, asked and answered, right? So he also seems wholly uncooperative and so i'm not saying that this is a good reason to deny him treatment but if he's uncooperative to the people that are trying to help him they will stop trying to help him you know what yeah. i mean yeah you need help so amy she, amy schiff is his daughter and she manages his finances but she has no contact with him otherwise she also thinks that paroling him would be premature she says quote certainly our family has been traumatized by what happened but it's been so many years and it doesn't really seem like he's going anywhere at this point hmm. the last time he was eligible for parole was march of 2021 and there's okay. no word of whether he showed up to that hearing or not 
Well, that was full-fledged pandemic. Full-fledged pandemic right? and also likely he hadn't shown up to parole hearings in 20 years, almost 30 years at that point. So like I doubt that that it probably got canceled. I mean, they probably didn't even have it. That's also true. That would have been his 11th time at a parole hearing or 11th time skipping a parole hearing. Um, okay. He's serving a sentence at the California Medical Facility, which is a medical and psychiatric prison in Vacaville, California, Vacaville, California. And so he's not in like a supermax prison, but it's still just like not a good scene. He's clearly not getting any better there, according to any of these articles. Right. Reportedly, Jim plays drums in a prison band. What's it called? I don't know. I, that is literally the only information I could find is it is rumored that he is play, that he plays drums in a prison band. Well, that makes me a little happy. Yeah, I think. Right. Because that's like his one of his passions or what his his the thing that he was like truly great at his dharma his dharma sure i have so many mixed feelings i'm like so mad that they stole from rita and then you know yeah let's talk about it i feel so sad for jim i feel sad for jim that he clearly was seeking help for half a decade at least and everyone's like god it's just your conscious acting up it's just the drugs yeah cries for help go unanswered the system creates these monsters and he committed a heinous murder that he according to his lawyers and himself believed were it was in self-defense in 1992 gordon won a grammy from behind bars the unplugged version of layla on the record clapton unplugged won six grammys even though jim's part is not played as a part of layla unplugged yeah he still has a co-writing credit on the song and so he won a grammy from behind bars until Phil Spector, 11 years later, he was the f- first Grammy winner to be incarcerated for murder. I wonder how many Grammy wi- Is there only two now? So I was looking at message boards. I think that there are only two, um, but I don't, I don't know the numbers for, for sure. But I was looking f- at message boards from 2000, from the year 2000. And they're like, who is trivia question? Who is the only Grammy winner to be convicted of murder? And it was Jim Gordon. And I was like, Oh, you, li, poor sweet baby angels. You don't even know what's coming. <laughs> so this is Layla from Clapton See Unplugged. If See if you can spot this one. Eat a dick. So I actually prefer this version because it's a way more cohesive song. It's just like a kind of a blues song, which makes more sense than whatever the fuck they're doing in the original recording. And because this one came out in 1992, this is more of the one that I grew up with. Yeah, they play this on the radio a lot. Yeah. I also like kind of the whispering. The singing is much less abrasive. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of hot summer nights. My dad's smoking a cigar. New Jersey. This is a fucking (laughs) Billy Joel song. (laughs) 
This is so much better. I like can't even handle like how much better this version is than the original version. Yeah, the other one is a lot of like I don't know. It just feels like it's yelling. It's wanking, and... right? Everyone's wanking. Yeah. Weirdly, even though that it's like unplugged and unplugged is supposed to be like a little bit more like raw or or unpolished, this has much more polish than the original, which just seems like Mm -hmm. a jam session. So where did we leave off with Eric and Patty and George? Thank you for asking. I'm asking because I don't remember. So Patty has just heard Layla for the first time. She's with Eric. They went to the Domino's Empty Flat Mm -hmm. one night or day, and he plays her Layla. So he plays it for her three times, two or three times. This is her quote from her book. He played it for me two or three times, each time watching my face intently for my reaction. My first thought was, oh God, everyone is going to know who this is. 
I felt uncomfortable that he was pushing me in a direction I wasn't certain I wanted to go. Hey there, Delilah, what's it like <laughs> in New York City? But the song got better for me with the realization that I had inspired such passion, such creativity, I could resist no longer. Oh, dude. So Layla is like, what did it? That was the panty dropper? Literally, that's the manipulation that worked. And also, like, he's doing the, like, high school boy thing of, like, playing you the song that he wrote and, like, watching your reaction. Yes. Oh, God. How old is he at this point? So this was, I think we said it was six. No, 69, right? Yeah, 69 or 70 is when the song Yeah, came oh, out. it's 70. It is 70. Confirmation that it was in 1970. So how old was Eric Clapton in 1970? He, so Eric Clapton was born in 45, so he was 25. Young. Young. Too old to be doing this shit, but, yeah. but it's important to remember that these are all 25-year-olds like out of their fucking minds on drugs. Also, no, he wasn't on drugs yet. He wasn't on drugs yet at all? No. Okay. Out of well. His- okay. Hold on. Okay. No. That, I'm. I'm lying. He was. He was doing cocaine and drinking. Yeah. Yeah. The easy drugs. The, the yeah. The, the mild stuff. The drugs the that dope. that don't really affect your judgment. Dope cocaine and yeah. She's like even in the book at one point she was like yeah we were all doing marijuana but it's nothing like that skunk that kids smoke today. <laughs> Great. I was like all right lady anyway <laughs> go to L A right. for one one time. <laughs> <laughs> so that night boyd goes to the theater with a friend and after intermission she gets back to her seat and guess who's sitting in the seat next to her oh. eric convinced a stranger to swap seats with him and he's because he saw her he's famous at this point right yeah but you got to remember there's no internet yeah you know it's not like it is now and theater and rock and roll probably had like a pretty wide divide but it is england which is small that's true too so after the show ends the second half ends they all go to a party and they're up all night and as the sun starts coming up george shows up at the party so george is like moving through the crowds of fucked up people asking where's patty and he finds her outside in the garden with eric and so he's like what is going on and eric says i have to tell you man that i'm in love with your wife what like just like the first day it's been a day yeah okay and and patty was like i could have died uh (laughs) so she writes that george was furious and he turned to me and said well are you going with him or are you coming with me and i said george i'm coming home Ooh. yeah so she goes home with george and then the next time she saw eric he showed up at her house uninvited while george was away no no Yes. Dude. And he told her that she had to run away with him and leave George. And she says that she said, are you mad? I can't possibly. I'm married to George. I mean, good for her. Stay strong. So at this point, you're going to love this. At this point, he produces a small packet from his pocket and says, well, if you're not coming with me, I'm going to take this. What? Wait, what? Wait, wait. What is it? She asked. Heroin. And he did. And he did, and he became addicted. He got young Alice addicted, too. No! Luckily, luckily, Paula moved out when she heard the song Layla, instantly recognizing that it was about her sister. How could... Okay, okay. I No, we got it. Let's take okay, it. Let's, let's back it up. Let's back it let's up. Unpack. Let's back it up. We got three things that are happening at the same fucking time. 
thing one he's basically doing the like i if you don't come with me i will kill myself bit right mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and follows through right like does shoot the heroin and and becomes addicted also he already had the heroin so there's a high probability he was already doing that's it but just wanted to make her feel bad. very true so that's like a like that is like graduate level douchebaggery manipulation yeah like yeah. he's getting like a phd Coercion. in in but it's it it is it's both it's both huge but also like so elementary like it's he's not even clever with his manipulation he's just like doing the same shit everyone's done forever yeah desperate so desperate and then he gets a fucking 16 year old french girl hooked on heroin I don't know if Alice was French, but uh, yeah, he gets the, Alice. Is that not the French? No, that was a different, oh, girl, different girl. The French girl that came to live with them. Um, yeah, so he gets Alice addicted too. Okay. So like that is one of the things that grosses me out the most in any kind of pop culture in like movies or books or or TV or whatever. When someone forcibly gets someone addicted to drugs that like, m- like I want to actually throw up. Well, we don't know it's forced. Like I just trying to be fair sure i feel like there is like a power dynamic involved oh absolutely absolutely so yeah i don't i don't think he's holding her down and injecting her necessarily but you know he gets her addicted yes he does as i said and then paula is like okay i'll look past the heroin however i heard your song and it is clearly about my sister (laughs) so Boyd in the book doesn't exactly make it clear the timeline. Like she's like, he did. He took. He told me he was going to take it if I didn't come with him, and then he did it, and he got addicted, and Alice got addicted. But luckily, Paula left him because she heard the song and knew that it was me. So okay. So, but how is that possible? How could she have heard that song and known it was about Patty? I'm. I would assume that the flirtation is a lot more. Then Patty is telling us. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, like people, people knew and they're hanging out, you know, I guess she like, talks about all these times, like they're having these secret meetings and I'm wondering like, were they fucking at sure. that time? So it wasn't the, because it, she never admits it, but lots of people are like, oh, the affair between Eric and Patty was widely known. She basically like, said she gave in to him when I could no longer resist. Yeah, I could no longer resist. Yeah. Like, I'm assuming they fucked. Yeah, so it's not necessarily the lyrics of the song, which I have to stress are just real gibberish. Um, but the fact that he wrote the song of longing and he and she knows who he's longing for. Yeah. I see. So she walks. She bails before she gets addicted to heroin as well. Yes. Good for her. The real hero of the story. The real hero. Baby sister Paula. Uh, so two months later, Patty gets a letter. So two months later, after he leaves her kitchen and with the heroin, mm-hmm. she gets a letter from Eric written on a page from Of Mice and Men. Written in heroin. <laughs> Dear Layla, for nothing more than the pleasures past, I'd sacrifice my family, my God, and my own existence. And still, you will not move. Wait, what? I am at the end of my mind. I cannot go back. And there is nothing in tomorrow save you that can attract me beyond today i have listened to the wind i have watched the dark brooding clouds i have felt the earth beneath me for a sign a gesture a gesture <laughs> there is no gesture it is just gesture. the jester stole his thorny <laughs> crown but there is only silence 
Why do you hesitate? Am I a poor lover? Am I too So they weak? obviously fucked. Yeah. Too strong? Do you know why? If you want me, take me. I am yours. If you don't want me, please break the spell that binds me. To cage a wild animal is a sin. To tame him is divine. My love is yours. It was signed with a heart. So, okay. Once again, he's abdicating all of his responsibility and is like, if you don't want me, cease your witchcraft on me, woman. Yeah. So he's having a real, a real normal one. And also, like, once again, like, manipulative, abusive boyfriend, bingo. He's, like, ticking off all the boxes, threatening to kill himself, writing these begging love notes saying, like, I'll be whatever you want me to be. Exactly. He's, he's literally pulling out all of the manipulation tricks that usually get um, romanticized in rom-coms. Sure. <laughs> so for a while they write fantasy letters back and forth i hate that mm-hmm. and then in 1971 <laughs> sorry you said fantasy letters and in my head it was like stories of fairies and hobbits oh no 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 like like sex fantasy letters like sexting but for the 1970s yeah but i just think it's funny if it was both <laughs> um i mean they kind of were they you know it was like it's exactly what you would think it would be like let's run away together mm-hmm. when we run away together we're gonna do this and blah 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 and Go like this Earth. is gonna be our fantasy life yeah. so um then in 1971 george organized the benefit concert for bangladesh so three million people had been killed in the war with pakistan and 10 million had fled to india and were starving mm-hmm and so George is organizing the first pop concert for charity, which we have mixed feelings about in this show. We do just because of like, where's that money going, you know, and, and, and who, like are you saviorism. Yeah, who are you honoring and how? Um, uh, so he invites Eric to play. Great. Boyd says that George was hoping if he got Eric on stage, even if he was like propped up on heroin, that his addiction would become more out in the open and people would help him or he could get help oh wonderful so it's like it's a it's a combination concert for bangladesh and also save eric clapton, save eric clapton <laughs> intervention yes by the way the concert for bangladesh album produced by phil specter oh uh boyd wrote that her and eric barely spoke at that event mm, he was super out of it she said it was a shock to think he had done oh god I didn't even set this quote up because I forgot what it was. Okay. This is so gross. It was a shock to think he had done this to himself because of me. No, Like my stomach is literally like doing knots. At first I felt guilty. No. Then my feelings would swing violently the other way. And I was angry that he should have put me in the impossible position where I had to choose between him and my husband. Good. Stay there. Yeah. What are you fucking thinking? Literally everyone sounds like they're acting badly in this scenario. I'm like, I hate all of you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, once again, they're (laughs) 25-year-olds on like a ton of drugs, all horned up. Yeah. Um, And then... (laughs) England's an island. They're just like trapped there. (laughs) Hedonism. Uh, The next milestone in this story is that Alice's father and Pete Townsend convince Eric to consider treatment. Oh, I thought you were like, Alice's father, Pete Townsend. No, 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 no. Pete Townsend from The Who Mm -hmm. and Alice's father convince Eric to consider treatment. Great. And he's considering it, okay? He's just considering it. He'll think about it. So then when Townsend puts on another charity concert in London, he persuaded Eric to perform. And this was the Rainbow Concert that was held in North London in January of 1973. What was that 
for do we know do we care because the because if we're saying something's a rainbow concert now i think it's like for the lgbt community or like hiv maybe but like clearly i mean definitely not hiv in the 70s but not lgbt either wow i'm on the rainbow concert wikipedia page cannot Uh find what it was for same me too unbelievable we're reading the exact same thing (laughs) well that's that's kind of shitty (laughs) maybe boyd got it wrong i feel like books are i when i was a fact checker i would never use a book as a source because their books don't even fact check they say shit out of their ass all the time so maybe she got this wrong so maybe it's not a charity concert a charity concert sure the charity was eric clapton (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay, so... And then that concert really served as, like, Eric's comeback, Mm -hmm. and they recorded an album that became Eric Clapton's Rainbow Concert. Um, And Boyd wrote of that night, As I heard the opening line of Layla, which was the first number of the evening, then the lyrics, my blood ran cold. He might have been wrecked for the past three years, but he hadn't forgotten how to tear at the heartstrings with his guitar. Stop. It's, I told you this book is so badly written. But also, like, stop it, Patty. <laughs> All the emotion I had felt for him when he disappeared from my life welled up inside me. The show, build as his comeback, was a triumph. So this was how many years after the concert for Bangladesh when he was, like, two out of his two blitz to play? Uh, 71 was Bangladesh, and then uh, 73 was the... So he had cleaned himself up for a couple years. It was no, no, no. It was still another year before he actually went into treatment. Whoa, so he's just like still fucked up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, he got neuroelectric therapy, which involves sticking needles into the, the earlobes and sending electrical currents through them. Uh huh. Just for fun. For about four weeks. Oh, no, no, this was his heroin treatment. That what? Okay, why would that be heroin? Tr- okay, I don't know. Fine. Go, whatever. Okay, well, he got off heroin and he went straight to alcoholism. Great. And then letters start arriving daily, begging her to leave George and be with him. And she says that things with George were now going from bad to worse. <sighs> she says, in hindsight, I wonder whether George's pursuit of other women was a challenge. Perhaps he was hoping to provoke me, hoping to make me put my foot down and reclaim him. Ah, uh, yes, it was all my fault once again. Like, holy fucking shit and there is like some narcissism behind that too right Uh uh-huh yes at the time i saw it as rejection and ever since i was a little girl i lived in fear of being abandoned when things reached such a pitch with george that i thought our marriage was past saving i left before he had a chance to leave me Mm. so she says the last straw was his affair was george's affair with maureen star ringo's wife what so I have this picture. How am I going to get this to you? I... Okay, so let's let's put the web on the board here. <laughs> George and Patty. Patty's fucking Eric potentially. George yes. is fucking Ringo's wife. Yes, Eric among is, other people. Eric is fucking over Rita Coolidge, who maybe but definitely didn't cause the breakup of Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. <laughs> Interesting family tree you've set up, but yes. Now I've sent you the photo, and you can see Ringo. Why can't I do that? What's wrong with my tongue? Maureen, Patty, and George. Okay, so this is a photo of Ringo, Maureen, Patty, and George. They're all babes, except for Ringo. (laughs) Yeah, except for Ringo. 
Yeah, so Maureen Starr is like a, she's got like a beehive kind of dealy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she looks like a 60s, 70s mod. Yeah. Yeah, so Maureen and George have an affair and Maureen's at go, coming over to the studio at like midnight at their house and not leaving until the morning and you know it, it wasn't even she they weren't even trying to hide it from patty and one day they were like locked in a hotel room together or some bedroom and uh she's knocking and the door's locked and then they come out like half dressed and george is like she's just tired like just literally tired. like no fucks given so patty told ringo about it Patty told Patty dined on Ringo that his wife and George were having an affair. Also, like yeah. I know that the Beatles are already broken up at this point, but like the fact that we're like, oh, it was all Yoko Ono's fault when they're literally all fucking each other's wives. Right. Yeah. So crazy. There's a New Year's party at Ringo's in January 1973 that Boyd recalls George saying to her, "Let's have a divorce this year." But they don't get divorced Great. until 1977. Four more uh, years. But- yeah, I mean, they they definitely got separated before then, though. So in 1974, Patty's brother gets married and George doesn't go to the wedding. Great. And the next day, she arrives home to find Eric, Pete Townsend, and Graham Bell hanging out at her and George's house. And Eric is again pleading her to leave George. So George isn't there. George wasn't there. I don't know. He fucked off to somewhere. So this is Boyd talking about Eric. He was so passionate, desperate, and compelling that I felt swamped, lost, and confused. But now I had to make a choice. Mm. Would I go to Eric, who had written the most beautiful song for me? No. Who had been to hell and back no. in the last three years because of me? No. And who had worn me down with his pro- protestations of love? No. Or would I choose George, my husband, whom I had loved, but who had been cold and indifferent toward me for so long that I could barely remember the last time he showed me any affection or told me he loved me? That night, Eric left and went almost immediately to America. On July 3rd, I told George I was leaving him. It was late at night, and I went into the studio and told him we were living a ludicrous and hateful life, and I was going to L.A. to stay with Jenny and Mick Jagger. When he came to bed, I could feel his sadness as he lay beside me. Cameos. Don't go, he said. No. Yeah, but she did go. She flew to America and joined Eric on tour. And maybe we'll hear the rest of the Patty Boyd-Eric Clapton love story. If we do wonderful tonight. Is that? No, we're not stopping there. Yes, we are. No. <laughs> yep. Oh, no. That is the conclusion of Layla. Because she's finally left George. She went to America to join Eric on tour. Okay. Well, I yeah. think we got to do wonderful tonight next week. I need a break. I'll, I'll do wonderful tonight. Okay. Yeah, so interestingly, do not, I don't know if this is even relevant, but he writes that letter to her and he's like, I would forsake my family, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, like all for you. And then it's like, oh, like, did you make a deal in blood with the devil? Oh, is that the family her? that he's threatening to forsake? Is the one, is the baby that fell out the window? I mean, that's his family. Oh, fuck. I kind of just assumed that that was his kid with Patty. That died? Yeah. No, it's not. Oh, no. Okay. So next, next week. Next week. <laughs> I will be wrestling the reins back from Lindsay to talk about the Eric Clapton sleepy ballad wonderful tonight. (laughs) It's going to be wonderful. Is it? Yes. 
Um, so what are we going to go out on this week? I thought we could go out on the p- piano coda. Okay. The stolen piano coda. Yeah. The outro of Layla. A messy bitch who lives for drama. <laughs> so this is the piano coda. This is the coda. Layla outro. The Layla outro piano coda written by Eric Clapton, Jim Gordon, and Rita Coolidge. Where can people find us on the internet? Find us on the internet at Lyrics for Lunch on Instagram and Twitter. And if people want to send us like a long, weird chapter of their novel, where do they send that? Email us at lyricsforlunch at gmail. Attention to Lindsay. Uh, and <laughs> please rate and review us on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find us. This is a fun show for us. We hope it's a fun show for you. Tell your friends. Subscribe. Like. Interact with us. Please do. Uh, send us uh, some songs you want us to cover. This song, Layla, was requested by Freddie of Freddie and the Fabs. Oh, it was. And yeah, but I was already working on it. It was the episode I was working on. He just sent this maybe a week ago, and he said, Since episode one, I've been thinking, what song do I want these guys to talk about? And I finally got it. Layla by Derek and the Dominoes, a song inspired by Eric Clapton being in love with his best friend's wife, who is... Who was this best friend? What happened? And did someone say co-writer slash drummer and murder question mark? And to which I replied, oh my God, that's literally the episode I'm working on right now. Well, thank you, Freddie. And thank you for being <laughs> one of our most faithful fans. We can always yes, thank count you. on Freddie hitting us up when our episode drops to tell us and, what he thinks of it. And check out Freddie's band, Freddie and the Fabs. And so tune in next week when I'll be back in the hot seat talking about Wonderful Tonight. How the fuck did this wind up happening? <laughs> I don't know, but I like it. And until then, I'm Eddie Rubenstein. I'm Lindsay Tucker. Saying, have some self-respect, Patty. Never let your friends near your wives. 